Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, And we'd really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. I... uh, As I was getting ready this week, I found myself thinking about something that I've never really thought much about. I found myself thinking long and hard about professional wrestling. Uh, And I'm about to do something that I've never really done before, and that is talk about professional wrestling for a few minutes. Are there any professional wrestling fans in the room? Okay, there are a few. I didn't know if anybody would admit to being a professional wrestling fan or not, Uh, but I know that the fans exist because I looked up this week on the internet how much professional wrestling is worth, and it boggled my brain. So I know that there are fans uh, out there I can't really say that I am a fan of professional wrestling, like high school wrestling and like Olympic wrestling where there is a clear referee and rules and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's cool. That's a great legitimate sport. But the stuff that came on after Saturday morning cartoons were done when I was a kid in our house, I wasn't so much into that stuff, still not really into that stuff. I don't know if it was the greasy hair or the -the over-the-top voices that they use or the spandex bodysuits that all these guys were jumping around and flailing around in, but it just didn't really do it for me. And the acting in the ring is not really what I would call an Oscar-worthy performance much of the time, these characters jumping and and mauling uh, one another. But I looked up what wrestling actually is, and it, and it is, is defined this way. A wrestling bout is a physical competition between two competitors who attempt to gain and maintain a superior position. So technically, the WWF or the WWE, whatever it's called these days, it technically is wrestling. But what they did is they took the wrestling definition They layered on top of that a soap opera and then added a few quirky costumes and they wound up with a $5 billion industry. $5 billion is what professional wrestling is worth. I I couldn't believe the number when I saw that. $5 billion. So then I did another thing. Uh, I started thinking about what if the pastoral staff at YWC had not gone to Bible school but had gone to professional wrestling school? What would, if we had studied professional wrestling for a little while, what would our shtick be? What would, what would each pastor's, like, signature move and name be? And so I came up with a few ideas. Would you like to hear, would you like to hear them? Okay. <clears throat> we'll start with Alex Decker, right? He, he was just leading us in worship. Our, our wonderful Alex Decker. I think that if he was to get into professional wrestling, we'd call him the Golden Voice Kid. That would be kind of his name. And his signature move would be called the Upper Decker, where he would climb up, he would climb up on the top rope, and he would bounce a few times, and as he springs through the air to drop an elbow on somebody, whatever note the top rope was resonating at, he would sing it in perfect pitch as he drops down to to deliver an elbow to people. Uh, Dave Hockley, 
Everybody loves Dave. So Dave obviously would have to be called Mr. Nice Guy, right? So Mr. Nice Guy, but his signature move is halfway through the match or three quarters of the way through. The people would know it's coming and they would want it. He would scream out, no more Mr. Nice Guy. And then he would rip open his spandex sweater vest. <laughs> Ready to rock and roll. Uh, Mark. Mark actually tipped his hat to this a little bit earlier tonight. We'd call Mark the freaky geek who would be this caffeine-fueled crazy man who would confuse his opponents with trivia and pop culture quotes until eventually he'd start laughing and clapping and clap the ears of his opponent. Mark claps when he laughs, if that's what I'm playing off of there, in case you didn't know. And then, of course, of course, our fearless leader, A.J. Plasier, <clears throat> would be Reverend Ransack, because he's revved up to cause some holy havoc. And his signature move would be called the command. And if he's battling one of the aforementioned wrestlers, he would throw the command, and immediately one of those, they, they would have to just kind of get into a zombie-like trance and do whatever it is that he kind of mind controls them to do. The theatrics would be way over the top, and there'd be all kinds of like pyrotechnics and stuff. But that would be the YWC staff if they were, pa if they were not pastors, but instead were actually professional wrestlers. You point at me. You want me? I did think about me. I was wondering if, if people would want to know who would I would be. Uh, naturally, as the manliest one on staff, I would, I would have to be Macho Man Tom Can, right? But in the way I would get, I would, the way I would get through the uh, intellectual property like infringement there is I'd add a second N to the word man, just like my last name, Tom, Macho Man Tom Can, right? There was too much laughter when I said I was the manliest one on staff. I don't really appreciate that, but anyway, enough of that. We're not actually going to talk about professional wrestling for the next like 20 minutes. We are going to talk about wrestling though, believe it or not, because wrestling is actually found in scripture in an actually meaningful way. And so if you brought your Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. It'll be on the screens and we'll dive right in because I think I wasted too much time on that. Um, <clears throat> Genesis 32 chapter, uh, chapter 32, starting in verse 22. It says, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, maybe that sounds familiar, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. That is in the Bible. What a weird story, right? Isn't that, isn't that bizarre? 
We're going to start tonight with what you need to know about Jacob before we start making sense of that story. Here's what you need to know about Jacob. Jacob's a really interesting guy. He is grandson to Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so he's part of this family tree that God promised to multiply and through whom he was going to bless the whole earth. Jacob is a direct descendant. Jacob is also a twin. He is the younger twin to his older brother named Esau, and the two guys couldn't be more different. Esau, the Bible describes him as a wild, hairy, hunter kind of man, and Jacob was more reserved. He liked to stay close to the camp. He was kind of his mom's favorite. And when Jacob was born, Esau had, had already come out, and when Jacob was born, he was clutching his older brother's heel. And the name Jacob actually means heel or deceiver. And Jacob's life was filled with deceit and trickery. And I kid you not, I learned this week as I was uh, researching professional wrestling that the term heel in professional wrestling means the bad guy. It means the villain. Like the, the guy that when he enters the arena, all the crowd boos because they know that he's the bad guy. Heel. I think the WWF has more to thank the Bible for than they give credit for. But here's some of Jacob's villainous activity, okay? Here's some of the things that Jacob did to get this name Deceiver. So early on, Jacob steals his older brother Esau's birthright. I, and he doesn't really steal it, but in an opportunistic kind of way, he manipulates Esau into trading his birthright for a bowl of stew. Doesn't seem a real good trade, but the trade happens. Uh, later, Jacob and his mom conspire to steal Esau's blessing from his father Isaac. So while Esau is out hunting, Jacob puts on a disguise. He puts on like goat skins on his arms so he feels all hairy, and he covers himself in uh, natural smells, whatever that means, so that his nearly blind father, Isaac, wouldn't recognize him. And he goes into the tent and he pretends to be Esau, and his father blesses Jacob instead of Esau. Well, this infuriates Esau, as you can imagine. It creates a real wedge between these two twin brothers. And Esau says he's going to kill Jacob, so Jacob has to flee. Jacob runs. He goes to a distant land to stay with some relatives. And while he's there, he marries, in fact, he marries a couple of women, which was uh, customary in the day. And he started to have a family and gain some livestock and wealth. And things kind of go sour with the family in the distant land with his relatives. And so he has to flee there too, which means coming back, which means confronting Esau. And he hasn't seen his brother Esau in 20 years. The last interaction they had, Esau was going to kill his brother Jacob for stealing his blessing. And the night before Jacob is set to see his brother again for the first time in 20 years, this scene at the camp takes place. This man shows up when Jacob is all alone in the camp, and they wrestle until daybreak. And Jacob overcomes him, and the man changes na Jacob's name to Israel, gives him a limp, blesses him, and Israel carries on with the rest of the story. I'll let you read it on your own time with what happens. This Jacob guy, his story is messed up. It seems like every time he turns around, he's doing something unsavory. He's always involved with some kind of deceit or something. It's really easy to boo him. It's really easy to not root for this Jacob guy. And yet, he's a central character in the Bible. 
Not only is he a central character in the Bible, he's a central character to God's plan to bless the whole earth. This guy? He's not what you would call a perfect church guy, right? Sometimes we think, well, if God's going to use somebody, he's going to use the perfect church person, the, the, the holiest of holy people, right? Jacob's a disaster. He lies, he steals, he cheats. He has a hard time doing the right thing. Maybe we can say he has a hard time with God. And I think there's a little bit of Jacob in each of us. Now, maybe you know this and maybe you don't, but in the Bible, names are really important. Names carry a ton of significance, a ton of weight. They can be really prophetic. And did you notice that the man that Jacob wrestles with that night won't tell Jacob his own name? It's God. God does have a name, but he's not ready to reveal it for a little later into the story. God does have a name, and I'm not even going to tell you what it is. You can look that up later on as well, because that's not what this sermon is about. But Jacob's name is changed to Israel. You've heard the word Israel before. It's still a nation today. Well, this is where they get their name, this Jacob guy. That's where the, the name Israel comes from. And do you know what Israel means? If you've looked in the footnote of your Bible or if you've paid close attention to why God changed his name to Israel, depending on your translation, Israel means struggles with God or God fights or God strives or he strives for God. So the deceiver becomes the struggler or the wrestler. The name Israel means to struggle with God. And the Israelites, the people who come from Jacob, they're God's chosen people. They are who God chooses to represent himself to the rest of the world. They are the, they are the ones that God chooses to make holy, to make set apart. They are the ones among whom he chooses to dwell. And this guy lies and cheats and backstabs and steals, and it's this guy that God chooses as a namesake for his chosen people. It's this guy that God chooses to bless. So here's what I want to take you to take from this today, and then we'll spend a few minutes unpacking it a little bit. Some of you think that you are disqualified from following Jesus because you struggle with God. Some of you think you're a second-rate or second-tier Christian because you struggle with God. And that's a lie from the enemy. That's what the enemy wants you to believe, that you're somehow second or less than because you struggle with God. God's chosen people were named Israel because they struggled with him. And he never gives up on them, and he's never going to give up on you either. God wants to be with you. In the Old Testament, it was only the Israelites who were with God. It was only the Israelites who had a relationship with him. But in the New Testament, all the way up to and including this very moment we find ourselves in, because of the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus, all of us can have a right relationship with God. Paul is the guy that, who wrote most of the New Testament in your Bible, and he wrote a letter to a church in Rome called Romans, and he says in Romans chapter 11 that through Jesus, everyone who wasn't an Israelite, the Bible tends to refer to that group of people as Gentiles, anybody who wasn't one of God's chosen Israelites. Paul says that through Jesus, the Gentiles are grafted in to this struggling group of people. 
We're a part of God's family now through faith in Jesus. And later on, Paul writes again in his letter to the Galatian church that we are adopted in as God's children to this struggling group of people. God's family. God's kids who wrestle with him and struggle with him. Now, what I want you to understand is that wrestling with God is actually a good thing. It's actually a very good thing. You're not going to physically wrestle God and get him in an armbar or anything like uh, Jacob did. But you have, you're probably aware of this, you know that you have a will of your own. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. You have a will of your own. It is built into your core to look out for number one and make yourself the center of your very own kingdom. We are all naturally selfish people. I probably don't need to spend a lot of time convincing you of that, right? God's invitation through Jesus is to die to yourself and follow him. That's a wrestling match right there. Your will versus God's will. And wrestling is tough. And so for a few minutes, I want to share a couple of thoughts on wrestling with God. And the first one is this. Everyone has to wrestle with God. Everyone has to wrestle with God. If you were here on Christmas Eve or you watched online, the way AJ said it that night is the question is not who is Jesus. The question is who is Jesus to you? Jesus was a historical person. We know this for a fact. But the question is, do you believe his claim of deity? Do you believe that he was a son of God? Everyone has to, at one point or another, wrestle with God themselves. You have to wrestle with the big questions of life. Why are we here? What am I created for? What's the point of all of this? Is there a God? And if so, what's he like? What does he think of me? And hear me, just because your grandmother wrestled with God does not exempt you from your wrestling match with God. That was Grammy's struggle, not yours. Just because you come from a Christian family or you come to church services regularly does not exempt you from your struggle, your wrestling match with God. Your pastors on staff can't wrestle God for you. Your parents can't wrestle God for you. And parents, you can't wrestle God for your kids. This is something that has to be done for yourself. Again, back to Paul. He writes in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You can run from it, you can avoid it, you can delay it, you can bury your head in the sand and pretend it's not real, but eventually you have to come face to face with God and wrestle for yourself. Everybody has to. That's the first thing. Everybody has to wrestle with God. Second, wrestling determines your depth. Said another way with more words, which I'm known for, The degree to which you are willing to wrestle with God directly correlates to the depth of your relationship with God. The degree to which you are willing to wrestle with God directly correlates to the depth of your relationship with God. Church services are great. I love church services. I love being a part of a healthy church like this one. I love coming together and worshiping corporately, singing songs, looking to God's word together, and learning and growing and that kind of thing. But this, what's happening right now— This isn't the main thing. Or at least maybe say it another way, this isn't the only thing. Your relationship with God cannot flourish if the weekend, the Thursday service, is your only connection to God over the course of the week. It just won't happen. The the best relationships in your life, in my life, you know this, 
are the most intimate and vulnerable ones, right? The best relationships are the most intimate and vulnerable ones, but those are also the most messy. In order to really know someone, eventually you're going to have conflict with them. That's just the way it goes. The first year that my wife Jess and I were married, I made her cry every day. Literally every day. That's not an exaggeration, and I'm not bragging. They weren't always bad tears. They were only mostly bad tears. But we were two people with two wills trying to learn to live as one. And it gets really messy. The same applies to God. It's messy. And sometimes I think that we believe that we can't be messy with God because some of us in our traditions, we were raised to like not run in church and we build these beautiful ornate buildings that give off a be on your best behavior vibe. And we wear special clothes with, with high collars that aren't very comfortable. And, and at least I was raised not to ask very many questions. Just sit in the seat and don't question what the guy up front is saying because he has all the answers, right? Well, imagine my surprise when I found out that God wants to have a relationship with me directly. And the same is true for you. He wants to have a relationship with you directly. Part of working out your salvation that Paul writes in Romans, part of working out your salvation is being honest with God about your will, about your desires, about your struggles, about all the places where you feel ashamed, all the places that you fall short. God is, hear me, God is inviting you into a deeper relationship. That's God's will for you. If you've wondered what, your will, what God's will for your life is, it's in inviting you into a deeper relationship with him. And it's a really gracious invitation. He's not going to force you into it. He's not going to force himself on you. He's a good father, is how the Bible describes him. He's gentle. He's gracious. He's compassionate. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, seek and you will find. If you're looking for God, you'll find him. The invitation for each and every one of us is to wrestle it out with God, to go deeper and deeper into a relationship with him, which means you're probably going to have to deal with some stuff that you'd rather not deal with. Some stuff that you'd rather keep shoved down out of the light. Jesus himself wrestles with God in the garden before he goes to the cross. Do you realize this? The Son of God himself, there's this incredible scene. The Son of God who knows what is about to happen on the cross. In Luke 20, 22, he's in the garden and he's praying out and he cries out to God. He says, Father, if you are willing, would you remove this cup of suffering from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done be done. We see this perfect picture of what it is to be fully submitted to God. God's desire for you and for me is to have a relationship with him deep enough that you trust him. Deep enough that you trust him. That's the second thing. Your wrestling determines your depth. And the third thing is some of our greatest blessings in this life come from wrestling with God. Some of the greatest blessings in this life come from wrestling with God. Jacob wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Jacob had some serious flaws. But as he wrestled with God, God blessed him. We grow the most when things are hard, when we don't get our way. I wish that weren't the case, but it is. 
There are things that we learn in the struggle that we cannot learn when things are easy. Wrestling is hard. Laying down our way is hard. But it's right there in the struggle where we grow and learn. And sometimes we don't even realize we're growing and we don't even realize that we're learning until after the fact and we reflect back on that season. But what makes this particularly tricky for us here in North America, here in the West in 2021, is our entire culture is built around avoiding suffering. Our entire culture, every product that we get a thousand ads blasted into our eyeballs every day is all about making your life simpler, easier, and more comfortable. You shouldn't have to suffer. Life should be easy for you. You deserve an easy life. That is the message that gets pounded into our skulls every single day. God wants what is best for you. He's your loving father, and just like any good dad, he wants to give good gifts to his children, and he knows what will ultimately hurt you, and he wants to protect you from it. But like many rebellious kids, we think we know better, right? We think we know better. Our youngest daughter, uh, Maggie, is a year and a half old. And just this year, we got our fireplace checked out, and we started having fires in our home. And as soon as we started having fires, Maggie was just completely entranced by this glowing orange flame that she didn't even know existed in the wall. And, and she, in the first few fires that we had, she would approach the glass, like, with her finger out, like, ooh, and Jess and I would run, no, Maggie, you can't, that's hot, that's going to hurt, that, you, you can't touch that. And over and over and over, we're just constantly playing defense against the fireplace when Maggie uh, is awake. And so one day, I, uh, I built a fire. It had been going for 15, 20 minutes. It wasn't like super hot. I touched the glass, and the glass itself was hot, but not like hurt you hot. And along comes Maggie with her finger out. And, and I said, Maggie, don't. Don't touch. It's going to hurt. It's hot. Don't touch it. And she looked at me and with a smirk, and she moved towards the glass, and she got closer and closer, and she realized, like, this is the time. I'm going to do it. This is, this is the one. I'm finally going to get through, and I'm going to see what this is all about. And she touched the glass, and she just pulled it immediately off and looked at me like, why'd you let me do that? <laughs> why'd you let me do that? That was, that was hot. And um, she was fine. Like, there was not even a mark on her. But she immediately registered, like, oh, okay, I'm not supposed to do that. Now she stands a couple feet away from the fire and says, hot, hot, hot. She informs everybody that the fireplace is hot and that you are not to touch that. We do the same thing with God, right? God, I don't care that you created me. I don't care that you've given me the guidelines of what uh, uh, life should look like in your kingdom. I'm going to do this. I'm going to look you in the face and I'm going to smirk while I'm doing it. Oh, that's hot. Oh, that burned. That burned. Why'd you let me do that, God? Right? <clears throat> so, uh, how do we wrestle? How do you wrestle with God? If everybody has to wrestle with God, if, 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 if wrestling is important, how do we go about doing this? The, the band is going to come up, and we're going to worship here in a few minutes uh, as they kind of get ready. But you have questions. You have doubts. You have vices. You know it. God knows it. Here's the thing. You can continue to come and take in church services. We, we hope you do. You can continue to tune in online and watch church services. That's great. We love church services. Uh, we hope that you in, enjoy what's going on and, and find this stuff uh, challenging in a, in a good way. But your relationship with God will not deepen unless you wrestle with him. 
It's just, it's not going to. That relationship with God is not going to uh, deepen unless you wrestle with him. And so some of you here need to start taking spiritual disciplines seriously. Like you need to start opening your Bible and learning how to read it. Well, it's hard and I don't understand it. Well, it's kind of uncomfortable at first, maybe. Some of you need to start learning how to pray. Some of you need to spend a little bit of time in silence regularly, just starting to listen for God's voice and what it sounds like. Maybe the only time where you can do that is early in the morning. That's something that God has put his thumb on me recently, these last few months. Like, God, I want to grow in my relationship with you. Okay, well, Tom, you're going to have to get up early in the morning. Well, no, 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 God, I have four little kids at home. I'm exhausted all the time. I can't get up early in the morning. And I mean, I felt him say, like, well, then how seriously do you want to take this? Do you actually want to grow, or would you rather just carry on doing what you're doing? And so for the last few months, I've been getting up at 5.30 in the morning and spending time with God, and I can honestly say that that time in the morning, I I have grown more in my understanding of the character and the heart of God in these quiet, solitude times in the morning than ever before in my life. Maybe God is telling you to start waking waking up early in the morning and seeking after him. Paul uses uh, sporting language, and he uses military language in the New Testament to talk about being a disciple of Jesus. These are both activities, both sports and and, and military, are both activities where you have to submit to something else in order to be shaped into something different. You don't become a world-class athlete just by declaring that you are a world-class athlete, right? (laughs) That's not the way it works. You have to train, you have to commit, you have to spend time doing things that don't come naturally and aren't necessarily comfortable. That's how you are molded and shaped. Paul uses that language really intentionally, I believe, because that's what it is to wrestle with God, to be a disciple of Jesus. Some of you, just straight up, probably need to be at Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights. You just, you need to, you need to, to, you've got stuff in your life that is destructive and you know it, and you need to just kind of own up to it and start wrestling with, with God through it. You've got hurts that you've not let go of, and you need a community of people who are going to help you process through that and, 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 and wrestle with you and God. Some of you need to learn how to pray. We do prayer rooms three times a week, and some of you need to just—is it weird to sit in a room and pray with other people? Yeah, a little bit at first, maybe. But you need to just sit down and, and learn to seek the face of God with some other people who have been doing it a little longer. Saturday night at 7 o'clock, join us. Wednesday at lunch, Thursday at lunch, over here in the youth room. We'd love to have you come out. Some of you need to tap a couple of buddies on the shoulder and say, okay, it's time to get serious about this. We need to start holding one another accountable. We need to start reading God's word together. We need to start figuring out what he's like and and what he wants to do in our lives together. You need to to join a a small group or a discipleship group or something. You need to be around a a body of like-minded, godly people who are going to help push you forward. So we're going to worship in just a minute. The long and short of it is this. You're a mess. I'm a mess. And the call today is to embrace this mess and trust God with it. Newsflash, God created you. He knows exactly what you're like, and he loves you anyway. All of your successes and all of your failures don't change what God thinks about you. He is up for the match. You just need to get in the ring. You need to start wrestling it out, working it out with him. There is blessing to be found in the wrestling. Our God is good 
and he is for you, and he wants to do more in you and through you than you could possibly imagine, but you gotta get in the ring. You gotta start wrestling. Let's worship.